we're in the final week of our series discussing something that is right at the center of who we are as a church because it's right at the center of who Jesus is. Everything that we are, or at least attempt to be, is initiated by the words and actions of Jesus. And, and one of the things that we understand through him is that anyone and everyone has value. And because everyone has inherent value, everyone belongs. Well, I'm so glad that we get to be taught this week by my good friend, Alicia. Alicia is the area pastor for San Ramon Valley, and she's doing such a great job leading and shepherding that area. And, and we're so privileged to have her lead and shepherd all of us today. Um, Alicia, this, this idea of the inherent value of every human and, and, and truly understanding our maximum value is so close to your heart and something you, you care so deeply about and you're so passionate about. Why is that? Yeah, gosh, where do I begin? Um, I guess I want uh, to start having us think back to a time where we felt excluded. Um, and maybe it was in school or maybe it was in a workplace um, a friend group, or maybe church. Uh, and when you think back to that time, or maybe it's not even something of the past, but something in the present, the here and now, I want you to think about how that felt for you. Or how does that feel for you right now? It's painful. It's traumatic. It's confusing. It's heartbreaking and depressing. And maybe um, it makes you feel makes you feel angry or um, gives you feelings of rage. And it definitely makes you feel lonely. Um, and I can relate. Uh, my story consists of being excluded um, from the very places that we would normalize as being safe. Um, places that you should be able to be your most authentic self and places that you should feel comfortable and be loved, like the home. Mm -hmm. um, so a little bit about my story. After my parents divorced at the age of eight, I moved from California to Canada um, where I'd moved with my dad and his side of the family. And um, about a year into that move, my dad remarried, and um, this woman would become my stepmother. Um, and my stepmother would never grow to love or accept myself or my brother as her children, and it was because we were half Asian. And she made that very uh, well known to us. And so for nine years, my brother and I would suffer through mental abuse and uh, physical abuse and um, emotional abuse. Uh, and this abuse would lead me to believe that I didn't belong, that I was ugly, that I was different, and being different was a bad thing, uh, that I wasn't worthy or valuable, and that I wasn't accepted, nor would I ever be accepted. Mm -hmm. And school was the same thing. Living in an all-white town, uh, we looked different. My brother and I stuck out like sore thumbs. Um, we had trouble taking the bus. Um, because of being severely picked on, we had um, trouble making friends. Uh, lots of name name calling, and um, again, it was this: I don't belong here. I'm mm -hmm. not included. I, I'm not accepted here. Fast forward years later, I end up moving back to California and um, leaving behind, you know, years of abuse. And my mom brings me back, uh, brings me to a church for the very first time, and it's an all Korean church. And um, from the get go, the first step I take into the church, I immediately feel I don't belong here. Mm -hmm. um, there's stares and whispers and these looks of disapproval. Um, and I'm not accepted here because I'm half Asian hmm. and not full Asian, mm -hmm. not full Korean. And on top of that, divorce is looked down upon a lot in the, in the Korean culture. So knowing my mother was no longer with her husband also had that hmm. 
mm. going against me too. Um, so many in, in, adults in that church wouldn't look at me or acknowledge my existence. There were no good mornings, no hellos, no smiles. Um, with the exception, thank God, for my youth pastor and my youth group. They were amazing. Loved them so much. Um, but again, it's the story of not being accepted, not being included. This, I just don't belong, which is a very painful reality. And that reality, um, though I know it isn't really reality, it still follows me today. Um, I know my identity in Jesus. I know that I'm fully loved and known and accepted and I belong in his eyes and in his kingdom, his family. Yet outside of that, I oftentimes don't feel like I belong anywhere. Um, and it's this narrative or script that I've been telling myself for years. Um, and I think the thing that breaks my heart the most in sharing all of that is that I know that I'm not the only one that feels that way. Um, that's why I care so much about where we've been the past couple of weeks because no one um, should ever feel that they aren't accepted or that they don't belong um, or that they can't be included somewhere because um, they do, mm-hmm. you do. And um, they should never experience that in the church and uh, they should never experience that from us as people that yeah. call ourselves believers and followers of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you, first of all, so much for sharing that. There's so much that I have going on in my head after you shared um, what you just did. First of all, I just want to say thank you for your vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I know it's not easy to open up like that, even to someone you're just sitting across from, mm-hmm. let alone just putting it out to whoever. Like, you don't even know who's all watching or attending right now, and, and that takes courage. So I appreciate you doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing I was feeling is how heartbroken I am that you've had to go through that. Like you said, no one should ever experience that, especially mm-hmm. like the part about the church, just like that wrecks me yeah. every time I hear that about um, someone's experience. Um, but also as you were talking about everything you've gone through, I felt the pain of exclusion that I've experienced, like mm-hmm. when I wasn't included in my past. Yeah. And that's palpable and it's real and it hurts. Yeah. But more so, I felt conviction and shame around the times that I was the excluder. Mm -hmm. And I think that with vulnerability of sharing our hurt, I hope for me and I hope for all of us that we can experience the vulnerability that you shared and and exemplify that and live that out, but also to confront our sin in this this area. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this picture I always think about when we we talk about excluding others. And... uh, I guess the best way to summarize, I, a couple weeks ago, I was in Colorado for a wedding, and one of my closest friends had just moved to the same town that I was doing the wedding in. Mm-hmm. So I brought my family, and we had a great few days with his family. And as I was driving around Colorado, it, just, I was, it felt familiar. Uh, I was born in the Midwest, and, and in the Midwest, um, fences aren't really a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, the only way you can really differentiate lawns is by, and, and property lines is by how people mow their lawns. Like you can tell who does it well and who's like, he needs some work. Um, so, so anyway, um, I'm noticing this and I'm, I'm seeing the same thing in Colorado. Like there's not fences mm-hmm. except for my buddy's backyard because apparently he's trying to impose California values in Colorado or something. I think that's everyone's fear when Californians move to their state. They're like, you're just going to make us terrible like you. Um, that's not really why he was doing this. Um, they put up a, a fence 
to keep their dog in, mm-hmm. and because their dog would run away, and to keep other creatures out, which is exactly the intention of fences, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. it's these things we construct and raise higher and higher and make openings smaller and smaller. Sometimes we'll even add a little barbed wire on top, just in case, mm-hmm. just in case. Nice touch. All in order to keep the good ones in mm-hmm. and the bad ones out, mm-hmm. to keep everyone separated. Right. And I know that I've sat on both sides of these fences mm-hmm. or these, these walls. On the side that just like really, really wants to be in, that wants to be included. Yeah. But also, on the side that just wants to keep certain people away yep. or out. And I think this is important for us to consider today. Um, what walls have we built? Mm-hmm. And while we think about that and process that, let's also consider that building walls, like we know this, that constructing walls or fences, it takes effort. Yeah. So who do I work to avoid? Mm-hmm. Who, do I, who do I work to ignore? Who do I work, who do I put effort in to keep at a distance? Maybe there are even some legacy walls that we've upheld, walls that we keep in place because, well, that's how my parents did it or that's how the church has done it or that's how my people or my friends do it. Mm-hmm. And in order to honor all of those folks, we have to then dishonor other folks. And I think the most difficult part of this for me is that it's actually easier for me to talk about the hurt that I've experienced because then I don't really have to confront the hurt that I've imposed. Mm. Even if it's mm. naive or unintentional hurt, I know that that, that exists in me. Yeah. As we follow the example of Jesus and read about his interactions and the things that he said and did, I hope and pray, and this is true of more than just today, but I hope and pray that we experience the comfort of Christ but also the confrontation of Christ at the same time. Mm. That Jesus confronts the things that are not like him Mm -hmm. within us. The story of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well in John chapter 4 does that for me. Um, And I I hope this will for you today as well. Go ahead and turn your Bibles or Bible apps to John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4. Verse 4. Yeah, the story in John 4 on one end breaks my heart a ton. And you'll hear why in Mm -hmm. a bit although I'm sure you can assume why. Um, But it's also one of the most beautiful stories ever told in Scripture that I believe provides a lot of hope for today. Mm -hmm. Um, So starting from verse 4, it says, Now he had to go through Samaria. And really quick, I want to stop here because I learned something from Becky this week about this part of the story. John writes, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Mm -hmm. Um, But he actually didn't. He went through Samaria on purpose. Um, And he did not need to save the three days he could gain by passing through this ill-regarded province um, rather than crossing through the river and up through the desert route. However, the father had sent Mm. him to be in the whole world. Mm. The father had sent him into the whole world, not just a portion of it or a Mm. part of it. And that's that's the truth today. God's love calls us everywhere. Mm Um, And Jesus was so obedient to that. There was an urgency for Jesus to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, Hence how this beautiful story came about. Jesus' love for this woman is on full display in the story. goes on to say, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now, I, I want to jump in real quick because mm-hmm. 
I think this is really important for us to take note of while we're talking about exclusion and inclusion. Yeah. The fact that we don't know this woman's name mm -hmm. is a direct example of the historical exclusion of women. Right. Like she's just known as the Samaritan well woman. Yeah. Um, she's known by her ethnicity and her location or her proximity to a well. Yeah. Like she was a Samaritan next to a well. Right. That's how we know her. Mm -hmm. Now just imagine, like we would be so frustrated if, if Alicia were just known as the half Korean woman at the table. Like we'd be like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Like that's not right. Yeah, right. But as I thought about that, how often do we do that very thing? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that's that's the old woman next door, yeah. or the gay guy in the marketing department, mm -hmm. or the black family at my church. Anyone who we don't know much about or have worked to know much about, we use these descriptions. Yep. And it's exactly what's happening here. So, so when we read Samaritan woman, I think it's important us important for us to be aware of the exclusion that's happening even within this text. Right. Uh, verse 9, we see it again. Uh, the Samaritan woman said to him, so there it is again, the Samaritan woman, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John includes this, includes this little side note here. He says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of things I want us to think about for a few minutes. Um, first, Jesus asked this woman for a drink. Mm -hmm. Jesus drew this woman into conversation, making her curious by asking her a question, simply by asking her a question. And this word curious or curiosity is going to be a key word today. Um, so, so, so we need to hold, hold on to that. Yes, we curious. do. Curious. Hang on to that word. Yes, it's important. Secondly, John intentionally writes, like you just read, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. It's right there in verse 9. And John felt this was so well under, understood in his, um, in his day that he needed no further explanation. Mm -hmm. uh, theologian Adam Clark says, The deadly hatred that subsisted between these two nations is known to all. The Jews cursed them and believed them to be accursed. Their most merciful wish to the Samaritans was that they might have no part in the resurrection, or in other words, that they might be annihilated. Their most merciful wish. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, in, the, in their mercy, they just were like, I just hope they're not in heaven. Right. Hope they're not part of the resurrection. Yeah. And it lead, it's, brings me back to um, where we are today, hmm. that this still exists in the world today. Yeah. We think and we believe that we get to have a say in who takes part in the resurrection and who doesn't. And we've seen annihilation happen mm -hmm. to different groups of people. Um, whether it's a, a, a car driving into a crowded pride parade mm -hmm. or a shooting that happens at a Black Lives Matter protest or um, a police officer simply wearing his uniform or sitting in his, his, his car mm -hmm. um, or anti-Asian hate, for example, mm -hmm. with um, Asian people being targeted on the streets, beaten and killed, being blamed for the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We exclude different groups of people and communities because of how we feel about them. Yeah. Um, we've judged them and come to our own conclusion that they just don't belong or that we just don't associate ourselves with those kinds of people. Mm. Pastor and author Rich Viotis writes, it really is a curious evangeliz evangelism strategy to despise the people you are trying to bring to Jesus. Can you, geez, that's so, can you repeat that? Yes. I think that's important for us to sit with for it a moment. It is, yeah. It really is a curious evangelism strategy to despise the people you are trying to bring to Jesus. Mm. How can we lead people to Jesus when our own prejudices or biases or walls that we've mm -hmm. built are in the way? 
-hmm. How is it possible? Yeah. It's not. Right. Now, even though there's this mm. massive divide between Jews and Samaritans, this Samaritan mm. woman is brave enough to ask Jesus a question. Where can I get this living water? And Jesus answers that everyone who drinks this water from this well will always thirst. Mm -hmm. However, who drink, whoever drinks the water that I, I give will never thirst again. Mm -hmm. It will become the spring of water that leads to eternal life. And she's convinced. And she responds with, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty again. So a female in a male-dominated society, a Samaritan, a mm -hmm. race with whom Jews did not associate with, which we've seen in Scripture. Scripture explains it. Mm -hmm. She has so much stacked against her already. Right. But that's not all. We also know from understanding cultural and historical traditions at the time that women drew water together. They'd gathered together in, an, in a group. They would go draw water together. It was like a social gathering. The fact that this woman is drawing water alone at midday indicates that she's a social outcast. And I'm like picturing myself in her shoes, a person that sees this happen, where people are gathering, women are gathering together, and let's go draw water together, yeah. you know? And she's like, I don't have anybody to do that with. Mm. I'm doing this on my own. Um, and this is the part of the story that breaks me. Well, I imagine you resonate with it more so just hearing your story. Like, it's not hard for you to connect the dots here. Right. Yeah, it's, it's isolating. And it's, gosh, when no, one, when no one takes the time to seek you out, mm -hmm. no one takes the time to say, hey, can I join you in on that mm -hmm. trip to the well, you know? Mm -hmm. um, to have no friends, um, to have no community, to be an outcast, yeah. um, this woman knows she doesn't belong. Mm. Like, sh that's her truth. Mm -hmm. I don't belong. Imagine that. Yeah. Or maybe that isn't difficult for you to imagine. Um, and I think it's important to repeat what John's been saying the last two weeks because I believe it too, which is that you matter. Um, whoever's watching today and hearing this, you matter. You matter to me, you matter to us. Um, and I don't want you to feel alone or that you don't belong because you absolutely do. Um, I don't even know you, but I can say I love you. And um, because you matter to me, I want to include my email address for you to have um, so that you have someone to talk to. So reach out to me. I would gladly love to have a conversation with you. Um, you know what strikes me, though, uh, is this woman's curiosity. We're mm -hmm. going back to curiosity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That she was comfortable enough to ask Jesus questions. And I love this thought. I love that she was curious. Um, and I'd like to believe that because of this interaction and the time Jesus spent with her and how he spoke to her and how he, he saw her um, with so much value and just... Um, the dignity that he showed her, being curious about her, that in an in instant, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and I'm believing that she felt seen and known and accepted for the first time maybe ever in her life. Mm -hmm. um, I know your love for Ted Lasso. Yes. <laughs> I'm show. a huge fan also. Um, and being on this topic of curiosity, um, it immediately reminds me of a, an episode that I saw that I think you can recall. Um, yeah, is it the the dark game one? The dark game so, one. So yeah, so 
It's such a great scene. Um, the Ted Lasso's playing darts with Rupert, and I, I'm not going to break down like all the characters. It's just watch the show. Yeah. Like, pay the five bucks for, I don't even know if we can say that, but it's on a network thing. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, but, but Ted Lasso and Rupert are playing darts against one another, yeah. and Ted Lasso's losing. Yes. And right before he goes up to have his last turn, he asks the bartender, who, what do I need to win? And she says, two triple 20s and a bullseye, which yeah. is not easy. Like, mm-hmm. if you've ever played darts, like, all of us think we're good at darts, and when we go to do it, we're like, this might be a little more difficult than I thought. <laughs> yeah. And so, so before he throws, he mm-hmm. starts telling a story of, of his upbringing, and he said, uh, or of just his past, and he talks about driving his kid to school, and on his way to his kid's school, he saw this quote by Walt Whitman mm-hmm. that said, be yeah. curious, not judgmental. Yeah. And he goes on to say, he talks about growing up and how many people were so judgmental about him that they weren't curious at all. They never asked questions. They just made up their mind about who he was, yeah. thought they had, had him all figured out, and they never asked any questions. And then he goes, and then he throws a dart and triple 20. Yeah. And, and then he's like, you know, questions like, did you grow up playing darts? Mm-hmm. And he's like, boom, yeah. triple 20. Yeah, yeah I did. Actually, from the age of 10 to 16, I grew up playing darts. And, and then he, he goes on to talk more and more about the value of curiosity, about actually getting to know people. Because if Rupert had known Ted, yes. then he would have known yep. that he's pretty good at darts. And yep. then, of course, he hits the bullseye in the exactly. last one. And everyone's like, yeah, yes. you go crazy. So oh, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, you got to watch it. It yep. is so well done. Um, but it reminds me of this thought I've had lately, which is to see people with dignity through the eyes of Jesus is the key. Like this is the answer. And that key opens the door to understanding the importance of inclusion because we become curious about the narrative of someone's life. Curious, not judgmental. Yes, yes. And I don't know about you. Hmm. Well, I do, nobody. (laughs) Um, But I can be so quick to judge sometimes. I feel like Um, you just judged me right there, so that's cool. I kind of did. It takes a few seconds to look at someone and then you make assumptions about that person. Like in an instant you can look at someone Mm -hmm and make assumptions about them and diminish their value that quick. And um, in our sinful nature, we tend to see people's flaws and shortcomings and sins, and we frequently elevate people that are similar to us, and we minimize people different than us. However, Jesus never did that. We know that. Um, So I know, and I'm convicted even now in talking about that, that I know I need to do better, and maybe you need to do better. You probably do need to do better. That's fair. Um, so fair. <laughs> <laughs> which is why it's, sto- it's like so important that the story that we're speaking of today, um, we can learn so much about mm-hmm. this topic of inclusivity. Because yeah. Jesus sees this woman and knows everything about her. Everything. Yet he doesn't diminish her value in any way. It's, he's seeing her with maximum value. And when we look at someone, you know, like, I'm thinking if we give someone 100% value, hmm. you know, and you see them based on, you see them and you see what they're wearing or what car they're driving or how they're talking. And it's like, boom, it's like decreasing. Yeah. You go from 100% to 95% to 80% to 60%. We diminish value all day hmm. long with the people that we come across. Um, but I love this thought that Jesus sees her with maximum and whole value. Hmm. But I want to go back to verse 13 really quick. Okay. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water 
welling up to eternal life. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Jesus makes an incredible offer here. He offers this woman into anyone who would drink something that would give lasting satisfaction. We're thirsty people. Mm. We're constantly searching and wanting and longing and we're reaching for so many things that we think will satisfy. We're searching for love, we're searching for acceptance, we're searching for belonging, and we're reaching out for community and support and friends and we come out empty. Mm -hmm. But then Jesus says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. So the question we should be asking ourselves is, if we are to emulate Jesus, how do we lead these folks to this living water? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a question we think about, about and agonize over a lot, just as, as pastors and leaders, but I think just as followers of Jesus, it's mm-hmm. something. And I think what Jesus shares next in this story um, is so important in helping us answer this. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, she, she asked for water, and Jesus is like, okay. And then he says, go grab your husband yeah. and come on back. And she's like, ah, I, I don't have a husband. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, I know. It's like, well, why'd you ask me in the first place? He then goes on to say, you've actually had five husbands. Mm-hmm. And the dude you're with now isn't even your husband. Yeah. So let's just add another layer yep. uh, to her outcast status. Mm-hmm. Not only is she a woman, strike one. Not only is she Samaritan, strike two. But she's also had five husbands, maybe going on six. Mm -hmm. And in this culture, this is absolutely sinful behavior. Strike three, no one should associate with her. Mm -hmm. I mean, people, let alone rabbis, don't associate themselves with what their religion has deemed as utterly disgraceful sin. Mm -hmm. But where's Jesus? Yep. Where do we find Jesus? Right there with her at the well. Mm -hmm. Right after this conversation turns a little, uh, verse 19, if you're following along, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Well, no kidding. He just like called out your whole life. <laughs> Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. Then the woman said, I, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, he leaned in a little bit, mm-hmm. maybe whispered a little, mm-hmm. I, the one speaking to you, mm-hmm. I am he. See, this, this encounter between Jesus and this woman is something I, I love so much. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, going back real quick, she reveals that she isn't married, and, mm-hmm. and then Jesus is like, I know. And then he moves, after that, he moves into the most painful, shameful part of her life. Not only is she not married, but she's been married five times. Mm-hmm. Now, looking at this story from an outside perspective, I'm like, Jesus, that's actually pretty bad counseling. Like, you, you don't bring up the most shameful, painful part of a person's story right away. Like, that's just not what you do. Mm-hmm. But you can see what Jesus is doing here because then he says something so interesting. And, and you brought this up earlier. Um, but don't let the fact that he's sitting and talking with this woman become lost on you. He's putting in the effort to know her. Right. Even though she's deemed unclean by the religious system. The, the same religious system that Jesus is born into and is still a part of. Mm-hmm. 
But then something crazy happens. After her shame is revealed, after Jesus reveals that this woman has had five, five marriages and going on six, and she's acknowledged that, and it's getting a little tense, right after that, Jesus reveals something to this woman that he's never revealed to anyone else. He hasn't revealed this to any other person. No one else knows this. We are in John chapter 4. We're not like toward the end here. We're in yeah. John 4. Mm -hmm. He looks this woman, of all people, mm -hmm. her, in the eye, out there alone by this well, and he says, hey, hey, guess who I am? Yeah. I haven't told anyone else this. I haven't told one person this yet, but I'm choosing to tell you, a Samaritan woman, mm -hmm. you are face to face with the Messiah. Wow. He says, I am he. In the Greek, the, what John writes here, it's translated, I am. Mm -hmm. Now, for anyone who's ever read any of the Old Testament, you know God said the same thing about himself to Moses when he said, hey, go tell the people, I am has sent me to you. God called himself, I am. And here's Jesus saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. You see, right before Jesus reveals this to her, he, he talks about worship. And this is important in the context of, of God, and, and, and we see this. Which seems strange because in verse 19, like the woman brings up a mountain. Mm -hmm. Like that was kind of a turn. Like as I was reading that, we were talking about this, <laughs> yeah. like the marriages and all that. And then she's like mountains, which some people are like, I think she's just trying to create a diversion because Jesus is getting a little too personal here. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you have five husbands. And she's like, is that a mountain? Do you see that mountain <laughs> yeah. over there? Like we should talk about that instead <laughs> of this. But that's not what's happening at all. Yeah. Um, the quick version, and I could nerd on this for a while, mm -hmm. which I, I'm sorry because I imparted a lot of that on you. And I'm nerded out too much, but I'll not do that with all of you. The quick version is that a couple of mountains are the basis of the central religious disagreement between the Samaritans and the Jews mm -hmm. regarding where God is to be worshipped. Mm -hmm. So these mountains had become a wall of disagreement between these two groups. Mm -hmm. There's that word wall again. Yep. Yep. And Jesus says, a day is coming and is now here mm -hmm. where it won't be about the mountains. Mm -hmm. Like, let's get the mountains out of our head. Yep. But rather, true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And mm -hmm. he says this twice. Like, why is he talking about spirit and truth so much? Well, first, verse 24, he says, God is spirit. God is spiritual, not material. He's communicating in this moment that worship is not about location. It's not about which mountain. It's about God. Mm -hmm. And God, if he's not confined to a location, is then available to any person, regardless of where they are, when they are, what they are, who they are. Right. Even, even this Samaritan mm -hmm. woman. And then he talks about truth. And this is where some of us like get really excited because we're like, okay, phew, we've been talking a lot about grace and a lot about love. When are we going to bring up mm. some truth? We need, we need truth because truth is black and white. Truth is where Jesus is going to make sure that that woman knows how guilty she is because of her sin. Mm. Truth will help us draw the line or build the wall. Right. Here's another example how with scripture and with Jesus, context really matters. Yeah. Getting the whole picture. Because what did Jesus say to this woman? He said, I am. Mm -hmm. This statement right here, this is the truth Jesus was referring to. Yeah. Because Jesus is the truth. We cannot miss this. Truth is rooted in the revelation of God in and through Jesus Christ. And the truth of Jesus, even in this story, is centered in love and in grace and in empathy mm -hmm. and in compassion, mm -hmm. which those things are so often not black and white. I mean, the black and white of Jesus's context, the rules, the laws say he cannot talk to this woman for right. so many reasons. Mm 
There have been walls built and upheld, but love conquers all, even those God-forsaken walls. This truth, our truth, it moves us and prompts us to love everyone the truth loves, to include, to empower, to sacrifice for, to know, to see. And as I say that, if, even as I got into like the, the grace truth part, if any of that's threatening to you, mm-hmm. let me just say this bluntly. If our theology is threatened by the inclusion or empowerment of others, our theology is not about love and it's therefore not about Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's right. And the scary thing is, terrifying, is that it's even possible for those closest to Jesus to miss this. Look at verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Mm -hmm. I also want to read the message version of this um, verse because I think it does a really good job summarizing what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of a woman. Mm -hmm. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. Mm -hmm. It's painful to read that. Yeah, I'm even thinking back to what you shared earlier about your experience at the church. Mm -hmm. That you didn't have to guess how people thought about you because their faces told you. Exactly, yeah. I've been guilty of that too. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you have too. Mm -hmm. I'm too. (laughs) But there's like this, when when you've witnessed that or when you've been a part of that, Mm -hmm. you know, there's this awkward silence. There's the judgmental facial Mm -hmm. expressions. This instant feeling of making someone feel extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. Or if you're on the other side of that, being the person that is feeling uncomfortable, like, oh gosh, I, I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. I, need to, I need to go. Have you been on both sides of that? Yeah, I definitely yeah. have. I, I even think, sorry again to interject here, but I even think of like, there's a saying that pastors say sometimes that like a person is an, is an extra grace required person. Mm-hmm. What we're doing when we say that is putting a wall exactly. up. Exactly, you're right. Because we're already saying, man, that's, they're needy or they're tough or. Yeah. Yeah. We all have those people in our lives. Yeah. No, we do. And what are, what are we doing? <laughs> exactly. We're building a wall. We so, are. Yeah. This message is for us today, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, in, in speaking about those things, that feeling uncomfortable and making someone feel like you don't belong here, mm-hmm. that's exactly what the woman feels here. Because in verse 28, it says, the woman took the hint and left. Mm-hmm. In her confusion, she left her water pot. I'm so thankful, though, that the story doesn't stop there. Yeah. Thank God, because um, her encounter with Jesus actually means so much more to her mm-hmm. than that awkward encounter, because what does she go to do next? It says, back in the village, she told the people, come see a man who knew about all the things they did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? Mm-hmm. And they went out to see for themselves. Now, there's this big part of me that wishes the disciples got it right. Like they came back with their food and they were like, woo, we brought back food. <laughs> we're super inclusive. Join in our feast. Let's get our grub on. But I'm reminded that they're they're human, yeah, and they're flawed, just like you and I, yeah. Especially, yeah. I feel like well, we belabored that point. <laughs> we I think have. we can move on. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but as a side note, um, and an important one, actually, going back a little bit more, um, I'm thinking. Ba- I'm thinking to what you just um, shared about the story of Jesus revealing to this woman hmm. when he says, "I I am uh-huh. He, I am." Yeah, you're sitting across from the Messiah how people would feel if they felt what that woman felt when they sat across mm. from us. Yeah. What, what would that feel like for them? Like if we were a true representative yeah. of Jesus, Hopefully. people should feel like what that woman felt yeah. like that day. 
Yeah. Um, which is why I'm so thankful for scripture because we learn from stories like these, like what the disciples did, how they were very flawed humans and how we are very flawed humans. Um, but that's th that brings us back to why stories matter. Mm. This story matters because yeah. it's teaching us today, right. how can we be better? Yeah. How can we be more inclusive? Yeah. But I wanna wrap up the story. Let's first uh, jump <clears throat> to verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Her testimony, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Hmm. He stayed for two days. I, I can't get past this um, because John Orozco was just talking last week about the meaning of the word stay. Mm -hmm. And he said, when we're obedient to his prompting, he realigns the use of our time. Obedience is so hard though, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but God re realigns the use of our time if we're obedient, creating opportunities to stay with people that we previously stayed away from. And then he goes on to drop this beautiful bomb on me where he says, inclusion isn't just a passing through, mm. it's a staying with. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what Jesus did. I mm -hmm. love so much how he stayed with this woman and her people. He didn't pass through, he stayed. Right. You know, we talked a lot about walls today, mm -hmm. um, but what's the setting of this story? We're at a well. Mm -hmm. And this imagery has been sitting with me, so go along this journey with me real quick. In order for a well to work, you have to dig and dig and dig. You have to seek depth. You have to work so hard to get to the fresh water. And I think as followers of Jesus, as we approach any other person, we need to stop building bigger walls and start digging deeper wells. Mm -hmm. Followers of the truth, followers of Jesus, don't get calloused hands from building walls and fences. That's not who we are. Right. But we do long for water. So yeah. we get our hands dirty, digging through all the dirt and rocks and weeds, going deeper and deeper, knowing the value that is there. That's what true relationship looks like. Mm -hmm. So how can we dig deeper wells right now? I, I think Jesus gives us the blueprint. Anyone who is on the other side of a wall, anyone who is supposed to be an outsider, anyone who's different or out there or other, anyone the institution of religion has deemed as unworthy, we approach with humility, with understanding, with grace, with curiosity, with love. We seek to know, to listen, and to learn. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about superficial politeness here. Like, we can't just check the box and say, well, I did what a good Christian's supposed to do, and I was so kind to that person that I don't usually talk to. Yeah. No, I'm talking about depth, yeah. staying with. It takes a long, long time to dig a well. It's mm -hmm. tiresome, grueling, and difficult. It takes personal sacrifice and so much intentional effort, and it constantly pursues the value that's there. Mm -hmm. You see, I think when we do the work to stay with a person, we will approach a new level of understanding, empathy, and compassion with that person. Yeah. When we stay with, we become so aware of how our words and our actions and our facial expressions mm -hmm. communicate either inclusivity or exclusivity. Yeah. We learn the hurt and pain of someone's past. We actually get to know people. And I guarantee you, when we get to that depth of knowing, we will no longer feel like it's up to us to judge if someone is in or out of God's family. Mm -hmm. Because it's not. Right. I mean, if anyone throughout the history of humanity could have done that, it was Jesus with that woman Mm -hmm. at that well, right? but he didn't. So why in the world would we? Yet so often we feel like it's our responsibility to protect God from other sinners. Not us, but other, other sinners. Yep. Like, yep. And just a heads up, God doesn't need us to protect him. Mm -hmm. He's God. Mm -hmm. The same God who stays with us, the same God who literally stayed with the woman at the well, mm -hmm. the same God who 
asks and implores and calls us to do the same. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> I think that's why this, this theme of curiosity sticks out so much to me um, with the story that we were um, going through today, that Jesus was curious about her and she was curious about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's the story of these two worlds colliding and, and joining together that creates this really beautiful picture. Mm -hmm. um, this woman's story, her testimony, brings so many to Jesus. And what it took was what? For someone to see her, mm -hmm. to accept her, to know her, to know her value and her worth, yeah. to treat her with dignity. Will you give me a drink of water? All it took was one question. Uh, one question to initiate a conversation that is still an example to us for what it means to see someone with maximum value. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that everyone bears the image of God. Mm -hmm. We forget that. Yeah. Day in and day out, we forget that. But that's, that's the lens that we're looking through, is mm -hmm. that everyone bears the image of God. So that face from across from ours bears mm -hmm. the image of God. The person that voted differently, differently than you uh, bears the image of God. That family next door with the thick accents and the different scents in the kitchen bears the image of God. The person waving the pride flag bears the image of God. The people standing on the other side of that wall or trying to escape where they want to live a better life and, and get to a, a safe place mm -hmm. for their families, to want more for their families bears the image of mm -hmm. God. I think we need to dig some wells. Mm. Yeah. And in doing so, I want us to be reminded that the most excluded person within his own religious system was Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus knew exclusion so well, yet he kept digging. He kept pursuing and he kept seeking people. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to include people into a family, yeah. his family. Mm -hmm. A family with the most exclusive belief of any religion throughout history, that God became human and that this human revealed God. And what this truth produces and prompts is the most inclusive community that ever existed. Yeah. Amen. We're marked by inclusivity because we're centered in Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, um, first I have to thank you so much uh, for this story that you stayed with this woman, that you didn't just pass through and see someone that was lonely sitting at a well. You, you pursued and you, you stayed. And I think about that woman and her story and her feelings of not belonging and feelings of being different and looking down upon. And I'm thinking about everybody that's tuning in today to this message that are feeling that, mm. that they don't belong or that they're not accepted or that they're not loved or that they don't belong here. Because they do. God, I pray for healing I pray for so much healing 
And I'm praying that in this very moment that you do a miraculous thing and tell everyone that's feeling unworthy or unseen that they are seen by you, that they're seen by us, that they are loved by you and loved by us, and that it prompts us to do better as a church and as, a, as people that follow you, that we'd be curious and that we'd seek the one, the one that needs us. We want to draw people to this living water but God, we have to do so much work to break down the walls that we've built in order to do so. So can we start? Can you help us start doing that today? Mm. Help us to break down the walls, prejudices and the biases that we have. God, thank you so much for your overwhelming and perfect love that even though we are flawed human beings, you still see us with maximum value. Mm. You don't diminish any part of our value. And we mess up every day. And God, I, I do want to pray uh, really quick that um, for those that have been hurt by the church, that feel like they can't step into our buildings because of the hurt they've experienced, because they did walk into a, ch a church one day and felt judged or unloved or not accepted. I'm sorry. I just want to tell those people that I'm sorry uh, because we, we do this thing as, as a community. This is a communal response, a communal repentance for any, any damage that we've caused. Mm -hmm. We love you, Jesus, and we pray that this, uh, this moment um, brings to whomever needs it healing, comfort, love, acceptance, and belonging. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.